What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. Thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Science Fiction Literature Edition. Classy. Classing it up today. None of those science fiction movies and TV junk. We're going literature today. We have, uh, I'm not going to hold back and I'm going to tell you, we have one of the greatest uh, living science fiction writers today. Uh, Alistair Reynolds is on the show. Um, Al, how are you doing? I'm excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for the build-up as well. Yeah, <laughs> right on. Yeah, I'll take uh, that. <laughs> Put that in the bank. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, Al is back after uh, Al was on the show a couple of years ago. If you ever want, if you want to go back, if you go to our website, whattheif.com, you can go to all see all our previous episodes or right there on your podcast app. So he's been on before, but we're excited to have him back again. We also have, as always, our illustrious hosts. Uh, Gabby Panicia, virologist from Rockefeller University. How are you, Gabby? How are the how are the vir how are the vir virions today? They are good. I actually had some some results look good for the first time in a while, so I'm very excited. I'm past the tool building phase. I have had my uh, God like space odyssey moment with the the bow, and I've I'm reaching like things are getting better. So. <laughs> what was I, uh, the space odyssey moment where you, you threw a bone into into the sky it wasn't and it turned even into that a spaceship cool. i imaged yeah. a thing and it had it there was a line and then next to it there wasn't a line mm. so that meant that something worked the way that it meant to so it's not even <laughs> remotely as cool as that <laughs> but uh it's the first like really like okay i can work with this kind of result that i've had on the new project so i'm very excited Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, awesome. Good. Awesome. Exciting. Uh, Matt, how are you? What, uh, what my, 2001 my, moments have you experienced? Uh, well, I, this is the weirdest thing. I go into, out into uh, my backyard, and there's this giant black monolith there. Um, <laughs> and it starts humming at me, and my magnetometers are all over the place. Um, so I called the city and had it removed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of those in new york actually yeah that's a real problem <laughs> yeah they just pop up well yeah whenever yeah. weird weird thing weird, if a weird object shows up in your backyard in new york you better call somebody <laughs> yeah we have to chase them down fast before the rats get to them else I was say, unless it keeps yeah. the rats away don't let the rats touch it yeah they will evolve that would be a serious situation Ooh. And um, Matt is a historian of science, um, so and we're glad to have you back. I think we didn't have you last week. Is that correct? Uh, that's you were right. yes, I was you were off on a science of hi history of science emergency somewhere in the universe. Um, it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a Doctor Who type situation. Um, and uh, speaking of science, by the way, Alistair, uh, I, I'm not sure how many people know you were a scientist as well before you became a writer. Is that right? you were astronomer. Is that where you were with Yes, Lisa? yes. I, I was, um, I mean, my background was basically in um, astronomy, visual astronomy. Yeah. And then I segued into working in the astrophysics department at the European Space Agency, um, which was kind of fun. 
Uh, I, I, I kind of I started just working on uh, observations of a type of binary star through telescopes, and then pretty much everything I did was kind of like related to the same sort of stuff, you know, sort of uh, uh, binary mm. stars and neutron stars and things like that, but just in different wave bands, using different uh, different techniques to look at them. But the kind of underlying astronomy was always the same, which was great. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And then you became a writer of great renown. You, um, uh, among your, um, just for people who don't know or who who may know and want to trigger their memories, uh, which is, by the way, part of our show today, a little bit. Um, uh, you are um, you got your start. Uh, is it correct with the Revelation Space series? Was that, that that's the big it big breakthrough? A writer of writer of great renown. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, I said. No, sorry. It's true, though. Uh, I, yeah, I'd, I'd been writing um, short stories for about 10 years before that, sort of trying to break into the magazine, now, oh, which wow. I think is what a lot, a lot of, you know, that's the kind of standard entry into sort of writing science fiction. And in fact, I, yeah. I started even, you know, way back in the 80s, I started sending stuff to magazines. But huh. it's, it's a long it's a long apprenticeship, you know, and then you sort of, um, you, you kind of make contacts and you sort of start learning the ropes about how, how science fiction publishing world works and, Right. One thing led to another, and then sort of by the, towards the end of the nineties, I had a novel that I was trying to sort of get out into the world, and that 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 became my first novel. But it was all sort of in parallel with, you know, getting uh, getting a degree and then getting um, getting my doctorate in up in Scotland, then moving to the Netherlands and working first real real first proper job really working for the wow. space agency. Um, so a lot of other stuff going on at the same time. But I was kind of just yeah. trying to progress the writing as a. Um, in the background never i didn't really ever think it would be more than a kind of glorified hobby mm. uh, certainly I, I wasn't thinking but full-time writer but then that happened you know and, uh, yeah here i am yeah yeah, yeah that's great lucky, i know that lucky. with giving gabby a little extra inspiration because gabby is a has having her first science fiction story published coming up I'm in the long apprenticeship stage right now (laughs) well it does end eventually (laughs) I mean it's also you know I had this thing um it was around about 1997 where um I'd been selling stuff to magazines on and off for about six seven years um but I still felt that the I couldn't get a foot in the door of getting my novel anywhere I didn't get any interest from anyone um and I didn't feel that my work was sort of exciting anyone in the field, you know, it just mm. um, no, nobody in America was interested in what I was doing. And then it, it just, re- it all changed almost overnight, you know, suddenly things started happening. Um, and I came so close to just think, ah, sod it, you know, I'll just chuck it in, uh, go and do something else. Because you, you, you get to the point where you think, well, this, this, this maybe isn't working out for me. And do I want to, you know, keep knocking on that door? But then it did change and it all changed really quickly. Um, mm. I had like... Um, you know, two sales to America within a few weeks, and you know, and then something else happened, and then so I think, oh, good, it's the wheels are turning now. Yeah. So it, yeah. it does happen. It just takes a, some people. It just it happens in like six weeks. You know, they just break in really easily. Yeah. Um, but it was a, a long, slow apprentice for me. Apprenticeship. That's good. 
Well, and I, I know that. Good that, luck, Gabby. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. I'm gonna I'm gonna need it. Yeah. I will take any luck yeah. bestowed upon me. We'll see you in 15 yeah. years. See how you're doing. Yeah. Pairing up. Yeah. 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 And I know that we we I know we have a number of writers and aspiring writers in the audience because this is that our show is that in that kind of vein. Um, so and even just the idea for this show for me was inspired by science fiction. You know, the idea of a what if scenario. Yeah. So um, I know a, a lot of people. Are Glad to hear that. Um, your most recent book, just to mention it, is uh, Eversion. Uh, yes. It's E-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. And, yeah, I, um, I create all sorts of trouble it? for myself by coming up with this title because <laughs> it was only afterwards I realized, like, you can have the E-version of the book, can't you? Because you can have the oh, right. book. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was just sort of uh, noodling around on Wikipedia um, one night a couple of years ago, and I, I found this article about turning spheres inside out. It was like the, the mathematics of uh, yeah. how, you, how, you, how you do that, which was, and I, I didn't really know anything about that. And, and the whole thing was called uh, sphere reversion. I sort of read a mm -hmm. bit, I thought, oh, that's quite fun. Um, yeah. And could I, could I kind of use that as the sort of, um, sort of central metaphor for a novel where everything gets turned inside out? And for once, when I had a title, it actually felt good, and I pitched it to my publisher, and they said, we like that title, so don't change it, and that, that, <laughs> that, that, that became Reversion, which is, uh, yeah, indeed, the, the most recent novel. And it is, it is, uh, I hate to I hate to rank any of your books against each other, but it is uh, one of your best, I, I think. It's just so uh, gripping a page-turner, and yet, um, one of the reasons I love your books, too, is because it's full of mathematics and, you know, what they call hard science fiction or just, you know, real science concepts, as well as philosophical concepts, moral conflicts, uh, all the things that all your books always have. Just, it's just such a tight book. I mean, it's just like, ah, oh, it's Thanks. really, yeah. really, yeah, really I, 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 I wanted to kind of change gear a little bit. Um, not, not just for that book, but maybe sort of going forward with, with, with the sort of subsequent books uh, to, to write somewhat shorter, tighter novels. And, um, the, as it happens, the next few will will probably be in a similar vein in that they'll be pure standalones. Mm -hmm. that just just work on their own. They're not connected to any other books because, as you know, I've written a lot of stuff that part N of X, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. book, mm -hmm. books in this universe and that universe, which is all it's all kind of fun. But I sort of feel I've done enough of that for now, and, and right. writing a, a pacey, tight. Um, 80 or 90,000 word novel like Eversion is is kind of refreshing after sort of bogging down in sort of 180,000 word novels, you know. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So I enjoyed it on that level, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it, it was definitely uh, nice to write something shorter. And there's a kind of perception that shorter books are in vogue now anyway. So uh, uh -huh. sort of, that was fine. As human brains yeah. shrink. You know. as, as, as our faculties <laughs> yeah. decline. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The long, slow decline of the human race. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, when you look in the long, the long tail, you can see that there was an early indication the books started getting shorter. That's um, right, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that being said, that being said, um, you have an absolutely exquisite trilogy called the Revenger Trilogy. Um, or the Revenger series, um, and we're we're pulling our if from that one um, this week. 
uh, a little bit, just a little bit tangentially. We'll go, we'll go off in a new direction as you see fit. But um, the Revenger series, I believe you said was you, you say it's for young adults. Although I, the young, I don't know. It, it seemed you. I don't think you, anyone would ever know. It's not like you read it and you're like, oh, obviously this is a book for kids. No, I, I, it was kind of a label that attached to those books. But uh, I uh-huh. always sort of tried to. I mean, my, my sort of intention with myself, and uh, which sort of fed into the early discussions, was I wanted to write something that was was kind of approachable to a younger reader, just maybe not yeah yeah quite yeah. congruent with YA. Because I, I was just thinking about the books that I'd read when I was sort of fifteen or sixteen, when I was starting out as a serious SF reader, books like Dune and uh, and yes. the one I always go on about yeah. was Samuel Delaney's Nova, um, yeah. which I mean, both books actually. Uh, Coincidentally, also had young young adult protagonists. Mm-hmm. You know, you think mm-hmm. about Paul Atreides, um, right. but we would we wouldn't say that Dune is a YA novel any yeah. more than again the one I always pull out yeah. my hat. I always yeah. say that you know, we don't we don't say that Tessa the Durbervilles is a is a YA novel because <laughs> it's because it's got a teenage protagonist. I mean, that's just right. it, it's some, it's something else. Um, but I, I I yeah. So there was that impulse, but there was also this thing that. Um, I, I really love um, like classic rip roaring adventure fiction in the in the vein of Treasure Island. Um, yes, you know, yeah. that, you know, Dumas, and I wanted to write something in that vein as well. And I guess that also shades into a perception that it's young adult because it's sort of um, tra- steeping. You know, the trappings of the novel are sort of high Victorian in places, sort of a bit gothic. Um, but again, it was just, for me that was just the the aesthetic that I wanted to bring into the book, and it sort of t- it didn't really cross my mind that that made it YA or not, because I think right. the, the the world building, for want of a better word, and the, the sort of thematics and complexities of the novel felt as challenging to write as anything I'd done, you know, before. You know, there was yeah, lots and lots of it's- plates to keep spinning in the air. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful series about two sisters, um, and um, uh, I'll, I will, I'll just mention this, and this is uh, this is not a spoiler, but I will say there was one point they they are, uh, well, I'll just say, I'm not even going to say what it was because I don't want to be a spoiler at all, but I think maybe you will know near the uh, end of the books there was a there's a a wonderful moment that happens that got me choked up. <laughs> I was like, okay. wow, that's really okay. oh, beautiful. I'll tell you off off air. Yeah. Um, so, but but if you get, give us give knowing the topic that we're going to explore today, the if we're going to explore today, just give us a little uh, tell those who don't know what the uh, what's the series about the Ness sisters. Well, so we're 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 looking into the very 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 distant future, and it's at least ten million years in the future, maybe more like twenty million. Because the, the earliest historical event that the characters can all agree on is the solar system being dismantled and <laughs> re, remade into... So instead of eight planets, there's like 20 billion or something like that. I can't remember now. But I, what, yeah. what I did, I, I, I kind of calculated the total mass of all the planets in the solar system, which is basically just Jupiter plus... plus, <laughs> plus, plus uh, garbage, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, I thought, okay, so we want to take some of that potential mass we're not going to worry about the sun we'll just do the planets some of that we're going to convert into miniature black holes because we want to put black holes here and there to provide artificial gravity 
And then all the rest we can make into sort of little planetoids that have some of them are like big space stations, like the sort of 2001 space station where they rotate, but others have got a black hole in the middle, a, 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 a low mass black hole. And the characters can then sort of walk around on the outside of a sphere and feel that there's sort of one, one gravity. Um, so I kind of calculated what you could do with the potential mass of Jupiter and came up with some ridiculous numbers of little planetoids you could have. <laughs> thousands and thousands of black holes you can still make, because they're only about mountain-sized mass, if I remember. There's an yeah. awful lot of black holes you can create. And then I just sort of basically just made up this uh, miniature solar system. And the reason, I, the reason I did that was I wanted to have something that felt space operatic in the sense that you had potentially millions of destinations and locations yeah. the characters could go to and have lots of sort of different types of adventure. But I didn't want to have it happening across the galaxy. I wanted something that was much more contained. And I thought if we can get that all those different venues into a relatively small volume of space, then we can travel around them using sort of conventional technology, if you know, you know, like uh, sort of solar sails and things like that. We don't have to have hyperdrive and FTL. Um, so it was really just a way of sort of reconfiguring the sort of the playground of space opera back to the scale of the solar system. Um, and that, so that was the sort of yeah. genesis of it. And then after that, it was just a question of sort of working out what type of characters would exist in this future. Um, although it is 10 million years in the future or 20 million, it's not sort of 20 million years of continuous history. So they keep having these resets where sort of civilization has crashed and then gradually sort of rebuilt itself and they've sort of explored back out into this um, congregation of worlds. But they never get more than a few thousand years into each reset before it all crashes again mm. so which was you know I, I kind of dig into that a little bit later in the sequence where i kind of try and offer an explanation for why this keeps happening but mainly i just wanted it that you could have a kind of um you know a, a steampunky aesthetic where um the characters are recognizable they're not they're not terribly far from us in terms of the commonplace customs and technologies that they have access to so the, the two sisters um, uh, um you know they, they, they live in a in, in a house in a city and they're looked after by their father it's quite a grand old house but the, the, you know there's there's not not enough money to keep it going and the father's a little bit overprotective because they lost their mother um and the, the, the sisters who are sort of uh, one of them is, is a little bit more headstrong and adventurous than the other they decide that uh they're going to run away from home and make money for the family and also have a, have a grand old time. So I think that, that it, it, it sort of felt like something that could have happened in a, in a sort of late Victorian adventure story. And mm -hmm. then you've got sort of, we, we get into something like space pirates, you know, um, but it's all drawn from, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of the tropes are borrowed from nautical fiction that, you know, the, the sort of classic adventure fiction of Robert Louis Stevenson and then C.S. Forrester and then Patrick O'Brien. And then um, I, I guess this sort of Pirates of the Caribbean coming in there as well and elements of Mad Max as well. Um, so it's a real mismatch, but I didn't want to have, I didn't want to make it shiny and futuristic. I wanted to make it a bit uh, creepy, creaky and old fashioned. Um, but at the same time, because we're, we're so far in the future, there've been all these different, 
successive waves of civilization and, and maybe aliens sort of coming into the mix as well. So there's all sorts of relic technologies that are sort of left lying around that the characters can maybe find and maybe understand and use, but they don't have a deep understanding of how these te technologies function. They only know, you know, this thing will do what we need it to do, provided we're very careful with it. And the, and the <laughs> perhaps the sort of most significant as, you know, example of that is the skulls that the, 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 the spaceships employ. So we're, we have an economy in this um, future solar system where small privateer spacecraft set out powered by solar sails and they sort of take a few months to sort of move move around the solar system. And there's a, there's a particular economy that depends on these, these ships finding relic technologies and bringing them back to the planet and then selling them on the market. And then that, that sort of provides a living for these crews, but it's extremely hazardous. But it's also very competitive, so you get kind of claim jumping and misinformation, all, all the sort of classic sort of pirate stuff. Strategies that crews try to have over each other is is to, and one of one of the sort of advantage able to communicate without interception. So they have, um, I call them squawk. Um, squawk is my it, it's the equivalent of radio technology in the future. You know? mm -hmm. So they have wireless radio sets and some you know, and they can sort of use coded transmissions, but all of that's potentially um, vulnerable to, to sort of interception and decryption. But where they really score is that some of the ships contain these gigantic old alien bones that they found, these skulls, that they really don't know what they, else works, but the implants still function on some level. And over what they were for, who made them, what the point of them was, it's just that there's, there's something like neural implants inside these alien skulls and nothing time they discovered that certain um people i don't actually call them humans at any time in the narrative so i'm very careful <laughs> not to say humans um, so i never i never yeah. use the word human at any, at any point <laughs> in, the, in the trilogy um so they're kind of humanoid is the way i i, I prefer to think of them uh, you call them monkey, but, but they, or there's a, there's a slang. Yeah, term, monkey. Right? Yeah, monkey. monkeys. Yeah, yeah, monkeys. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, t I wanted to get across the idea that they're kind of they kind of like us, but maybe not exactly like us. You know, they kind of mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. slightly. You know, in my head, I was thinking they're a little bit sort of Studio Ghibli anime, sort of. Oh yeah. Slightly, they they they're humanoid, but there's just something slightly off about them. You know, that's how I was, I was right, trying to get it. Right. Right. Um, and monkey but, is used almost as, as certain, like an endearing insult. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's so many bits of old slang and um, pirate terminology that I tried to work in there. Uh, and monkey yeah. just I, t to me, it just felt there. Yeah, that's pretty good. There, that, that, that sort of works in context. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So the two the two sisters, uh, Adrana and Arafura. Um, discover very early on that they have um, an innate ability to work with these skulls. And the, the, the idea is that employing these skulls is a very uh, hit-and-miss procedure uh, on a ship. And, it, and generally, you're lucky if there's someone who can actually get a signal out of the skull. And the way it works, you, you kind of lock yourself in a room with this skull. It's, it's kind of like a, an, an acoustically sealed chamber isolated from all the noise of the spaceship and all the cannons going off and all that sort of stuff. And you kind of plug in a headset and you, you, you know, and I, I kind of gloss over exactly how 
the intention from the skull gets into the, the the minds of the characters. But it's a kind of you know it's a kind of technology mediated ESP, and the idea is you 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 sort of plug in at the skull at different you, you know you've got a sort of input device and you try different sockets on the skull that someone has already drilled for you, and you're looking for a signal a carrier wave, and then if you find the carrier wave you might just be able to communicate with someone else using a skull on another ship. So so either intentionally or maybe eavesdrop on some communication that they, they don't want you to, to listen in on. And, that, you know, that, that was just quite good fun to, to put into this universe. It's kind of a mixture of, um, yeah, it's creepy, but it's also, for <laughs> me, it sort of, it, it, it was it reminded me of old crystal sets and those old submarine films where where there's the guy you know the the, the guy down in down in the um the radio operator yeah, station the, who's always trying to get a signal yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just love all that stuff so i just wanted that kind of thing going on you know <laughs> awesome awesome and so i think for our if today what we're saying is what if we had um i'm trying to think of a name uh sort of uh, mental radios or, um, you know, uh, how would you describe it, Alistair? What, how would you describe this technology? Well, I suppose if we had it in of, our world. Tech, yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's, it's mind to mind communication or ESP oh, facilitated through, through technology, but, right. but very, I like mind to mind. Unreliable. Yeah. 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 M to M, M to M. Um, yeah. All right. Now uh, we bring neural in neural linkage, bring in, that kind of stuff. Neural linkage. Very cool. Uh, yeah. So what we do, Alistair, is we bring in now, we announce the if with great fanfare, with literal fanfare, okay. and we ask, okay. <laughs> what the if we had mind-to-mind communication Mind-to-mind radio. Already I'm imagining there's a difference between AM mind-to-mind radio and FM mind-to-mind radio. <laughs> FM comes in a little, a little higher fidelity, yeah. you see. Fancy mind. Yeah. Fancy mind. Yeah. 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 All right. Matt, uh, what would you, what's the first thing you imagine? You, you, um, you, it's, you decide well, to check in on the mind-to-mind uh, mind radio. The first thing that, that grabs me about this is the, the unreliability about it. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm vaguely reminded of very early telephone systems um, huh. where it was essentially everybody was connected to everybody else and you didn't call an individual person, but you would just kind of pick up and say, Sally around? And yeah. uh, you, you might got one of Sally's neighbors or whatnot. Um, so that's you know you would use that kind of communication system a little differently than a person to person thing like with your your phone. Um, uh, so that's an interesting thought of of how you get a communication network going when you're not entirely sure who you're going to be talking to. Yeah, so I can imagine really the old scalable, telephone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Al. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no one um, knew, did they? You know, when they went. They, they had no idea that uh, eventually you'd need a system for in which millions or even billions of people had unique telephone yeah, that's numbers. Right, it was um, no, it was no good just saying is Sally there. <laughs> all right. 
Yeah, and that's another interesting aspect of this too, is that this is a, a small N system. Um, not many people have access to the uh, the mental, um, the, the materialized ESP uh, at the moment too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so how to take best advantage of that is an interesting question. And one thing, and this is not a spoiler because I think it comes up pretty early in, in the uh, series, <laughs> Alistair, is that uh, children are better at it, right? They They lose the ability as they get older. So that's kind of funny to this, think that only uh, yeah. children, mm -hmm. children use up the phone more than anyone else anyway. Yeah. Or at least they used yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. this, this was a relic idea from another sort of book that didn't happen. And I, <laughs> I, I, I was legitimately trying to think of a YA um, storyline for, for a set of books. And I had the idea that, up to the point where you lose sort of neural plasticity, you know, things I've read say that your brain is still developing into your mid twenties. Um, mm -hmm. What if you, I, I was thinking, what if there's some alien technology that only younger people can um, access and control um, because it relies on inherent neural plasticity to make it work. And it was going to yeah. be spaceships. It was going to be a little bit, a bit, a bit of a riff on sort of Fred Hall, um, Fred Paul's gateway. Where, where we have sort of access to alien uh, spacecraft cool. that we don't understand. And the kind of, I don't know, like the, the CIA have to employ younger people to make the technology work because adults are, they're outside that window where, where, where they can actually engage with the technology. Well, that, that died a death. Nothing, nothing came of it. Um, but um, when, when I, when I, when I was sort of um, noodling around the ideas for the revenge universe, I thought, well, yeah, what if there's a, there's a window where, um, you 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 have you have the, your brain is still developing, it's it's not uh, not set in stone, and that's when you can interface with the skull. So I thought that's quite interesting. Um, um, for, you know, it opens up a number of interesting avenues in the story because it means by necessity the captains of the ship they're using the skulls to swap really sensitive information, and. Mm -hmm. They have to work with maybe the youngest, greenest person on the ship is the, is going to be the bone reader, because ah, the, the people who can interface with the skulls will, will by definite definition, not have been part of the crew for very long because they have to be young. And they keep having to bring right. in a fresh supply of these bone readers. Um, they don't throw them out the airlock when they when they when they lose the faculty. <laughs> they just sort of uh, yeah, they just they just graduate to some other other function on the ship, and. Right. Um, in, in the first novel, there's a, there's a, the, the sisters are sort of taught the ropes by a slightly older bone reader called Mr. Cazaret. And he's off the point where he's losing the faculty. So he's losing the ability to pick up the signals. It's a little bit pathos there for you. You know, it's, uh, he, he, he's, he's losing this great gift that's marked him out as something mm -hmm. special, but now he has the chance to pass it on to the sisters. So I thought that mm -hmm. could be an interesting sort of dynamic that plays place throughout the books and across all the different ships that I, that I introduce. Um, beyond, yeah. you know, there's not an awful lot of hard SF thinking beyond that. I have to stress it's just, Oh yeah. And you, you know, brain plasticity in these humanoid creatures, um, affects the way that they can interface with the skulls. And that's, that's enough. I need to know as you know, sufficient for me as a writer. Um, and yeah. I don't have to sort of say it, it happens within exactly this time frame. Kind of unsettling to think about uh, an interplanetary civilization relying on teenagers. Um, 
keeping it together. <laughs> yeah. And I say Matt, Matt has two twins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just should, should add for yeah. Adam, and Matt Matt has two twin yeah. teenagers right yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, right. they're, they're so your daughters. Well, are, are you worried yeah. about your daughters, uh, Matt, um, controlling the solar system? Communi- yeah, a little communication. Um, I mean, they're they're fabulous kids, but sometimes it's hard to rely on them to do the dishes. Um, so the idea that we need to rely on them for for transmitting all important information um, suggests something interesting. And certainly, we'd have yeah. to redo our yeah. education system if we wanted to be producing teenagers who we could uh, rely yeah. on for this kind of thing. And somehow yeah. not expect them to use like brain to brain meme transmission. Because when right. you have children, yeah. they are going to pass yeah. jokes and stuff like that. And you could do it without ever yeah. actually passing yeah. a note and just beaming yeah. a stupid joke yeah. at your friend from across yeah. the galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that it may very well be that TikTok, the social media platform, is actually sending sensitive, you know, trans solar system information. We don't know. That that would be the equivalent. Only the kids know what's going on. So they have to do it, you know, they have to dance in a 10-second video and that's some sort of sensitive uh, intergalactic communication, inter-solar system communication. So I mean, Gabby, you... you sort of thing, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Al. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was... I'll, I was also thinking at the time that a lot of that sort of nautical fiction I was reading, you know, um, half the crew would all be kids anyway on these ships, you know. Uh, you know uh, the, the, the captain's mate would be a, a, a boy. The cook would be a boy, you know, the, you know, so it wasn't completely mad in terms of that seagoing aesthetic that I was sort of shooting for. It sort of fitted um, that, that this, this wouldn't be too weird in context. Yeah. 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 I will say, by the way, just one, one of the loveliest aspects of the books is how, the sisters, as they get older, largely through just the incredible amount of experience and trauma they experience, as well as successes they have on their missions and things like that, they get older rapidly so that they meet an, a, a boy who's only a two or three years younger than them, but they're able to feel this maternal instinct towards him. Um, so, yes. Gabby, you would be you would be one of these uh, people, I believe. I think you, you would still have know, your right? uh, like, faculties about you. I just hit 25, and I felt a little ding that meant like my frontal lobe has finished cooking. So I don't know if that would... Oh, Gabby, you don't even know. You don't even know. <laughs> I, I will say, there was kind of a marked difference. Like, between 24 and 25, right. I feel like I'm making a little bit more sane decisions. And I look back at stuff I did when I was 23, and I was like, who was yeah. that idiot? Like, so, I mean, I'm sure that kind of level of, like, cringe at your past continues exponentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I might have just aged out of the program. <laughs> All right. But but, but so yeah, yeah. thinking back, thinking back a year or two, then who would you have called on your mind to mind telephone? Oh, I definitely would have called my partner because at the time he was states away. Um, right. uh-huh. So all of our conversations were based off of text. Which, when you work in a laboratory and you have to mm-hmm. peel your gloves off every time you want to talk to somebody basically uh-huh. is, uh, is a lot, and especially working in a lab when you're gloved yeah. up and in a pandemic when you're also masked up. Yeah. Um, so human contact would have been a definite way I would have abused skull usage. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say, you know, romantic conversations uh, or not forget romantic conversations, just conversations with your intimates via mind to mind communication, I think might be a bit too much, you know, uh, too, it would be too much information, have, kind of thing. Too much, yeah. Too much well, information. Actually, that might be a really interesting thing because my partner is ADD, 
And already in conversations, I know how his mind like goes. Like I'll see him just kind of zone out for a second. And I, I know like a thousand things are happening in there. I also know because we've been together for like six years, I can say something stupid and plant it like a bomb inside his head. So he thinks of it later at the worst possible time. Um, <laughs> wow. That's sophisticated. I, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of fun when you're, when you've been around a person for so long, um, yeah. you know, that's you the puppet. you're a puppet master. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, essentially jacking oneself directly into that would probably be insane because there's so many times we've talked mm. about how our brains function so completely differently. Um, right. And that's sort of the first thing that I think of if you have to suddenly link your mind with somebody else's, right? Like how your perception works fundamentally different from somebody else's. For example, I have an internal monologue. When I'm thinking of something, I'm talking myself through it in my head generally. But some yeah. people don't. Like there's somebody in my uh, PhD program we were talking and she thinks in concepts, sort of just yeah. abstract stuff. She doesn't, she doesn't think mm -hmm. in words. So if somebody just blasted me with an idea or an image of a place, that might be weird for me, especially since mm. if they just showed me an image of a place, I have no yeah. ability or very, very limited ability to imagine things in my mind. So if somebody mm. throws me a really crystal clear image, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold that. Yeah. So yeah. what kind of information you could parse when somebody throws it into your yeah. head is a really interesting thing for me to like think about right like is are you going to lose fidelity of a message just because mm. you don't think the same way as somebody else does yeah. yeah yeah that's almost that's actually closer to like alien communication yeah you know where it's like they're on a completely different platform al who would you call with your mind-to-mind -mind telephone well i was um really lucky um particularly if we go back a couple of years um it, you know, being a writer in lockdown was not the worst thing. Um, my wife was here, you know, we were still in the house. Um, nothing really changed. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't a very pleasant time for, for lots of reasons, but, um, mm -hmm. um, no, I'm, you know what, I'm a really boring person. I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite, <laughs> um, I'm actually quite telephone phobic. I, I don't like telephones. I never oh, have. Me too. Um, me too. I, kind of uh, limit limit my use of telephones to sort of like I'm on fire and that kind of thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm not actually um, – I mean, you'll know I don't have a, a strong um, social media presence. I don't right. – you know, I don't walk around with my phone in my hand all the time. Uh, yeah. I, I got a smartphone for the first time last year because um, I'm involved in this thing called Parkrun, which is coincidentally – got my t-shirt on. Um, oh, right on and they do a lot of that's sort of run through apps and I, uh -huh. my old phone my phone was like a really ancient thing that couldn't run apps so i had to get a smartphone but you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm way i mean consciously and deliberately behind the curve when it comes to communication so i don't know i'm not really the target audience for that kind of technology i think i'd probably run a mile from it that is fascinating <laughs> yeah. that the yeah. science fiction writer prefers doesn't keep up yeah totally. because well, you know, because your mind is 20 million years in the future anyway exactly exactly philip uh, i'm so far <laughs> ahead of the curve uh, i just couldn't even begin to communicate it to you uh no i i i was the last person probably to give up writing on a manual typewriter uh in the, uh, on the planet yeah, yeah, you know yeah. but mm -hmm. i i was a i've the way i've sort of rationalized it to myself is um much as you know, I, I, I like to think as a writer, I swim in sort of the futuristic ideas, 
uh, and playing with ideas about um, you know mind uploading, post-humanism, um, artificial intelligence all the time in, in, in my fiction. Uh, and yet I have no particular interest in computing as it relates to me in the real world. Uh, mm. I'm, 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 you know, the, the computer I work on in my office is 20 years old, no kidding, um, and it'll probably see me out as a writer now. Um, I've no no interest in mobile phones. They, they're, they're like a, you know, a, a necessary evil that I, I've got to have one, but I wish I didn't have to have one, and I don't like it. I don't feel an attachment to it. It's not um, an object of desire for me. I'm, I'm, I'm much more, um, I'm gadget orientated when it comes to things like cameras and bits of kit for telescopes, that kind of thing, and binoculars. Mm. But mm. I'm, mm. you know, kind of old school in that respect, and not. I, I, I was deep suspicion about the way mobile phones were going to take us as a civilization, and that's. Mm. And then an even greater suspicion about the internet as it's become, you know, um, uh, and, you know, not to get all sort of a pop, you know, dystopian about it, but not, um, I never had a desire to get on that bandwagon, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm someone who's just quite happy in my little bubble. Um, I probably got the shortest list of contacts in my phone that you could imagine. Um, <laughs> So that's, that's a, awesome. Yeah. That's a really helpful that's answer, awesome. isn't it? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, that's really great. So there's there's a world of people who won't. I, I mean, it's it's a real thing. And in fact, even um, I feel like people have probably sh- the, the division between people who are totally into their cell phones and those who are not has probably shaken itself out now. But I remember there was a long period of time where I also was very late to get a cell phone, and then yeah. finally there was some ga- a bunch of friends were gathering in the park. And I realized I didn't know they had moved to a different spot, and I didn't, I couldn't find them, and I didn't have a cell phone, and they all had cell phones, and I realized, oh, I better yeah. get one of these. It was fine. Yeah. It happened. Um, but uh, Matt, who would you uh, who would you call? Well, so it's got to be. Well, actually, I should say, since my kids are off to college next year, uh, yeah. if I could keep up um, uh, with their daily events, um, that would be quite nice. Uh, but because they are teenagers, presumably they're trying to call all of their friends uh, at the same time. And since we can't really do uh, intentional person to person, I suspect I'm just going to end up listening in on their <laughs> conversations, which, as Gabby yeah. pointed out, is just all memes and cat videos. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I suspect I would, like, like Al, I'm going to feel even more left behind um, and kind of deserted by the, the modern technological generation. Um, yeah. So I suspect this would really drive um, some even more serious generation gap issues. Um, I, yeah, I can see it. I can see it doing something profound, perhaps even, I don't know if I can go so far as to call it an evolutionary change, but um, the idea that we would have to learn, and, and Al, you talk about the, the Nest Sisters, talk about this in, in, you know, in the book, in the um, Revenger series, um, how you have to control your thoughts. It's incredibly important. Like you, if, if they allow, for instance, the name of their ship to just come into, into their mind, mm. then someone listening on the radio would know, oh, their ship, 
that ship that we've been looking for is there. Now we know where to find yeah. it. So yeah. this notion that you would have to control your thoughts in a, to a tremendous degree, I think, could drive a vast change in the human species if we all really focused on that. Yeah, I mean, the way I visualize this technology um, was it kind of amplifies the inner voice. So it's a very, it's an oral yeah. technology. They don't yeah. see imagery. Um, they, they hear a voice and they can make their own inner voice communicate itself through the skull. But you're right, yeah, yeah there, there, there comes, um, I mean, later in the book, one of the, or in the sequence, I played with the idea that because it would be so disadvantageous to inadvertently give away your ship or your location, the captain himself or herself will only share certain information with the bone reader for that reason, that they don't want the bone reader to inadvertently give away where they are. So there's a kind yeah. of a, a strict need to know thing where the, the captain right. Right. says, right. I know where we are, um, but I'm not going to tell you. And, Again, that was something I heard about in sort of submarines where, I mean, it's, it's a reader actually, um, he, he, he emailed me um, a long time ago uh, uh, and he was um, doing these long, long deterrent patrols or something on a British submarine. Huh. Um, and, he, you know, it was basically just saying, no, it's good to have something to read when you're sort of uh, <laughs> off at sea for three months. And he said, often they don't know where they are. You know, they, the, 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 the regular crew of the submarine don't, don't know where they are because that's wow. not information that can or should be shared with, with them at that point. Um, okay. So I thought that was interesting. And I, I'm sure there's analogs to that in the, in the sort of, um, the sort of nautical sort of uh, age of sail sort of, sort of period. Um, yeah. The captain wouldn't necessarily want uh, his, his, his officers to know everything. But I thought, yeah, that could that be another sort of wrinkle that makes the use of these skulls quite interesting. And then there's, I mean, there's, there's points in the books where the sisters are isolated and they're trying to communicate with each other through the skulls and not to give each, not to give too much away, not to give the fact that one is alive or is looking for the other. So there's lots of yeah. times where they need to share information, but, but in a, in a very sort of contained way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, it would be horrific yeah. to me to, you know, to have a technology <laughs> yeah. that, <laughs> indiscriminately yeah, I broadcast your your every thought that's right horrible. so i i suspect that would that would give rise to a new generation of um i don't know verbal ciphers and cryptography yeah. um yeah. i'm thinking of like the the navajo code talkers from mm -hmm. from world war ii mm -hmm. um so actually mm -hmm. i should say that with the rate at which teenagers uh develop slang they might actually be perfect for this um yeah, because you yeah. get two two teenagers from the same meme population um <laughs> they can talk to each other in the open uh and the adults listening in will have no idea what no they're idea actually whatsoever. hearing yeah. which is pretty yeah. much my yeah. my dining room table so <laughs> fantastic so just wrapping up uh, i just want to end with one one thing which is there's a whole nother level alistair that you go to which is this um there's a very um metaphysical layer to this communication that again like one of my favorite expressions you mentioned that they use in the bone silence is that when they first tune in, 
they don't it's not like a matter of oh i hear words i don't hear words i hear static i don't hear static it's this very ephemeral thing and you use the expression there's a they feel or hear or feel or sense uh, a silence beneath silence and the talk about that what what do you imagine that is and i think those are real feelings like as a reader you can imagine what those feelings are it's incredibly visceral you know um yes i i'm well uh, thank you for saying that it that it worked uh it, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sitting there at my computer and i've got a rough idea where i want to take a concept or how i want to get it across to the reader and sometimes it takes a few iterations you know before before it sort of sort of feels um believable and um functions within the story as well um and that yeah I, I i was just groping my way towards something that felt kind of creepy but mm. plausible way of describing this um um yeah i i yeah i was thinking like well you know when you, you know when you listen to white noise um, yeah for any length of time and you start hearing things in it <laughs> but it's yeah, your your yeah. brain is imprinting structure where there isn't any um but what if yeah. there was structure um so it's a little you know playing with ideas like that where you, where you just start hearing sort of really subliminal impressions of meaning that uh, sort of beneath the noise itself um, yeah but it's yeah, like, what it, does the ether really, what does the really, ether sound like yeah yeah yeah, it's really hand wavy. Um, but again, yeah, this thing about <laughs> si silence beneath silence. Um, yeah, I was thinking of, um, you know, sometimes where you, you, you're in a room and maybe you've been playing a record and the, um, the record's finished, but the amplifier's still on, so it's putting out a little bit of noise. Yeah, but you yeah, become yeah. so attuned to it, that becomes your new reference point for what silence sounds like. And then when you switch it off, or there's a power oh, cut, yeah. you say, "Oh my God!" There was a whole level of silence beneath there that I didn't realize was there. Yeah. So yeah. in a very hand wavy, you know, it's just just an attempt to to get across the, um, you know, a totally um, made up technology behind behind yeah. these bones. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't well, want to. I, I don't want to sort of give it the, any sort of um, any sort of suggestion of. Um, scientific respectability beyond that <laughs> right yeah, right, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, but in you know in, in audio production and in film production maybe um, maybe I, I loved it even an extra amount because like we deal with that all the time we call it room tone right you know okay. and there's a tremendous okay, amount good, of good. attention yeah a tremendous yeah. amount of attention given to the room tone because there's so many flavors of it you know if you ever sit yes. in an audio a creative audio sound effects session you know, the, the guys who are making Star Wars and things like that, they deal with all yeah. this stuff all the time. How does it okay. feel? What's okay. the texture of it? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very I cool. mean, it was all making sense in my head when I wrote it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Um, uh, wonderful. So, thank, thank you, Alistair. Thank you for taking us on this, this incredible. Oh journey of the imagination it's really fantastic um those of you who are members of our patreon community uh will be getting uh extra bonus content only you will be getting it um that's for members of our patreon community um so check it out by the way i want to give a shout out to uh some of our patreon members uh today i'm going to give a shout out to um guy guy raider i believe Ooh. of brooklyn yes Queens. I think Matt, you know him. 
Queens. Oh my goodness. Queens, not Brooklyn. I apologize for the what horrible a, what a, faux pas. What a faux pas. Yeah. That really was oh. terrible. That really was terrible. So apologies. Guy, Guy, thank you for being one of our stellar and founding Patreon members. Um, if you don't know what Patreon is, just go to patreon.com slash what the if and you can find out more. There's no obligation. Just go check it out. You get all kinds of cool merch and you get bonus content that uh, only our members get to listen to. So you'll be, be able to listen to that on our Patreon page. Um, Gabby, anything you'd like to plug coming up? Nothing new that has been, not been plugged before. <laughs> <laughs> Mad, how about you? Uh, no, if my students are listening, please get your assignments in for Tuesday. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Fantastic. By the way, I will, I will give a shout out since we're on, we're on a literature, uh, kick today. I happen to have holding up my microphone today. Ah. Uh, I'm now again, we're an audio only program, so you can't see it, but I'm holding up. Matt has a book called Einstein's War, a, um, kind of a historical, um, account of, um, Einstein during World War One, when he uh, he created all those things he's famous for. So I highly recommend it. That's Matt. That sounds Taylor's good. Book. Yeah. And um, Alistair Reynolds' the latest book is Eversion. It is available at your local independent bookstore, as well as through all the mega multinational corporations <laughs> uh, from yeah. here to the uh, Oort cloud and beyond. Yeah. Um, it's always available. In, and in, uh, in all and if the you're five boroughs of New York as well. Yeah. And in the five boroughs <laughs> of New York. Although we had to wait to get, you know, this is such a weird <laughs> thing that to get the print versions, it comes out in the UK first and yeah. there's like a month or two delay. Yeah, we, we, we to tried to get synchronized. I think it was with inhibit. I mean, it's, it's kind of my fault because I always take too long to write books. Um, <laughs> they, they, yeah, we, we were kind of synchronized with the inhibitor phase, which was like, yeah, we're synchronized. And then it's drifted uh, okay. again now. Um, right. So, yeah, blame me. Oh, it's kind of fun though because there is this old-fashioned aspect to it where all the readers in England are like, you know, yeah. I, you could you can yeah. get the audiobook right away, but that's not. I want the yeah. print book. Yeah. So. Um, and uh, for those of you who are interested, the the series that we were talking about the most today was called the Revenger series. The first book is Revenger, and then there's uh, Bone Silence and Shad oh, sorry, Shadow Revenger, Captain Shadow is... Shadow Captain, and then Bone Silence. Yeah, for you, for you uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash fans. Uh. Oh, touche. Yeah. yeah. It's a a, a David Crosby song, Shadow Captain. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm going to have to go look that up. Um, Gabby, would you you help uh, bring Alistair and all our listeners, Patreon and uh, civilians, uh, into the fold to uh, join us in our closing ritual? What do we do? Yeah. So we have a ritual on this show where we wind up shouting the name of the show in slow motion, in unison. Uh, So as we are connected to another person, just their brainwaves beaming directly into ours, we cannot help but shout together. (laughs) What? Shout out to everyone out there solar sailing throughout the solar system. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>